from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to Superiority Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. Uh, sad day today. It's the day after we just found out that uh, Vince Scully passed, and uh, I, for one, am still uh, sad about it. So I'm going to let the, let John and uh, Jake, my co-host today, they're just going to take over for me. Not unlike a Jerry Doggett and a Ross Porter. Uh, you guys can <laughs> Jerry Doggett. <laughs> you guys can fight amongst yourselves to see who you want to be. If you want to be uh, Ross Porter or Jerry Doggett. I forgot uh, about Jerry Doggett. Oh, Jerry Doggett and Ross Porter. Ross Porter used to do yeah. the uh Ross Porter used to do the great uh the Dodger talk after on now right. on the radio and then he would always go uh he'd always go, you know, oh you know, uh somebody would be like, Okay, we're gonna talk to uh we're gonna talk to John out in Sun Valley. And then uh John from Sun Valley would call and go, uh, you know, Vin, uh or, you know you you, you know uh, Ross, uh, I, I just think that uh, it's terrible that Steve Sachs can't seem to find first base and uh Ross Porter's reaction was always this. Uh-huh. That was it. That's what he would do. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. God I love I miss those days. That was Elvis. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I kinda did that a little uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, they would play, it's a beautiful day for a ball game, a ball game or two. Yeah, but uh, if you grew up in L.A., even if you weren't the biggest baseball fan, you heard Vin Scully at one time or another. Um, it kind of transcended all you know, some of the greatest calls in sports, if you think of the, the catch in, in uh, the in, was it 82, 83? Uh, he even did, you know, people remember the Buckner call, the ball going through Buckner's legs in the... Mets versus uh, the Red Sox, and uh, so it wasn't just Dodgers. He wasn't just Dodger centric, but of course that's where his you know he was the Dodgers announcer. But he he had um, he had a he had a great career outside of just uh, being the Dodgers announcer. But man, sixty seven years with the Dodgers from nineteen fifty until he retired in uh, twenty sixteen. So that's crazy, right? Crazy. And uh, so if you grew up in L.A., he was the voice of the Dodgers. He was the voice of Summer. When you heard his voice, you knew Summer was right around the corner. You knew you were going to be out of school soon, and uh, you'd hear that voice. You go, "Wow, summer's almost here. This is it." And then he'd carry you, he'd carry you right through to uh, through. Uh, well, not all the time, but uh, at least through September. You know, you heard him when it's you like were summertime. Puxatawney Phil. He kind of you heard him when you were leaving school, and you heard him when you were <laughs> when you were back going back to school. You always heard him. So, uh, yeah, that summer. But uh, I mean, there's all kinds of tributes going on. Uh, stuff like that, you can't say enough about him. But to to me, you know, I think the the greatest thing you could say is most Dodger fans who never met him felt like he was a friend. So, uh, R.I.P. Vince Scully. That's all I can say. Another, I can't. I don't want to talk about it too much. I'm going to cry. But how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Yeah. Yep. Has right. anybody ever been with a um, with a team? As long as he was? No. Is that a, rec- is that a record? Uh, yeah, I think I believe that was a record. I doubt it, yeah. Yeah, I remember he called he called Hank Aaron's uh uh home run uh when he broke Babe Ruth's record. Um he called the only perfect game ever thrown in a World Series. That was Don Larson against my unfortunate Dodgers. But yeah. So he was there for a lot of a very historic moments and um so his voice is kind of a soundtrack of the sport. Because if you think it, that kind of that kind of follows the advent of TV, around 1950 is when TV really starts to 
the early 50s is when TV really starts to break out. And uh, his influence was such, I think, the best story. You, I mean, he was responsible for, for people to start bringing... Uh, when I was a kid, I remember this used to happen. It doesn't happen too often now, but when I was a kid, people used to bring radios to the ballpark. And it was because you wanted to hear Vin Scully call the game. So people would... It, it was not uncommon to have uh, uh, um, people in the stands with the transistor radios. And at one point, I guess in the, in the 60s, it was like everybody had one. And uh, so... Yeah, yeah somebody said his description, his description of what was going on was better than what you saw right in front of you. <laughs> He's painting a better picture than your own eyes. Right. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, it's online. It's easy to find. Just uh, Google uh, uh, Sandy Koufax, Perfect Game. There was, no, there was no telecast of it. It was only a radio broadcast. Wow. And because it was, a, because it was uh, a special occasion, they recorded the ninth inning. So you, you have the entire... Uh, uh, the entire uh, half of the ninth inning where, where Koufax comes up and strikes out the side to get a perfect game. And, the, you know, it's just super descriptive. He's just out there and, you know, it's just him alone. And, and uh, he knows when not to talk and he knows when to let the crowd speak. It, there's a lot of great stuff out there, a lot of great materials. If anyone's interested in how to become a proper sportscast, because now it's all just BS and people talking and telling stories and a bunch of ex-players and they, they don't know when to shut up. So, uh, and that's the thing. He, said, he said if he had a people always praising him and he said if I had a trademark that I, I knew you know was worthy it was to get out of the way if there's a moment nothing can nothing can uh, say it like hearing the, uh, the uh, crowd go crazy right you know so it's said, on those big moments you just get out of the way because it's more important instead of gabbing to let everyone hear what's going on at the stadium you know right yeah. Uh, I didn't realize I didn't really get an appreciation for Vin Scully until say, I mean he was always there you know, growing up and especially working with my family at like the working produce stand that my grandpa had, and uh, we always had the, the radio on and uh, you know Vin was you know was on a lot you know during the during the summer, and uh, you know it's almost in your mind you're like oh well he, we heard him every day but you didn't. You know you, your mind wants to you know you heard him during day games or you know we'd be getting to ready to wrap things up and as we would be driving home we'd have them on you know but um uh i, I really didn't get an appreciation for him until i want to say the mid 90s when when uh when cable and other with the dodgers started being carried by other cable you know when espn would pick up like the game of the week or you know they would the dodgers would be on tbs like the you know when you start to hear hear other broadcast teams you go oh my god we're so lucky like who is this, this who is this guy Right. This guy's this team's terrible. Shut up. Let me, you know, tell me what's going on in the game. And uh, you start to appreciate what you have, you know, when you, when you realize, oh, my God. And we were so spoiled in the 80s because we had uh, we had Chick Hearn from the Lakers as well, you know, one of the all-time greats. And uh, and so we were so spoiled here growing up in the 80s and 90s. And, I mean, you know, and my brother's generations, you know, from the 60s on, um, so it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to put that into words, how, how great that is and how, how you just come to kind of uh, take it for granted until you, you realize, oh, man, no, we, we had it so good. We had it so good. So uh, RIP, Vinny. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was ready for this day. You know, you, you, you know it's going to come, but you, you still, you're, you're not quite prepared for it. So you know, one of those things that really, uh, you know, I spent a lot of night looking at clips and listening to clips and, uh you know, but you know what they say, 
Don't be sad that it's uh, it's it's over. Be glad that it happened. Right? Right. You said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like your little Jerry Doggett there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, we also lost uh, Uhura, Nichelle Nichols, uh, last week. Uh, we lost uh, Lieutenant Uhura. And um, uh, one more person. John? Tony Dow. Tony Dow as Wally Cleaver. No, there was someone else. There was someone else even bigger. And like, no, not that guy. Somebody bigger and more important than Wally. No, 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 no. Not the same man. Because <laughs> I know we talked about we talked about him last weekend, last week. Oh, we Let's we see. Who we, was we mentioned it. Um, Who was the last person? It was Nichelle Nichols, and we mentioned Paul Sorvino last week as well. Yeah. Did we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe somebody could get online and say who just died. Besides Vince Gully and, and uh, Nichelle Nichols, who just died? It was in the... Let's, oh, let's ask Google I, who just died. I know. Well, one is uh, Bob Raffleson just passed away, who did uh, uh, Five Easy Pieces and... Uh, He's the producer of uh, Easy Rider, and did, he did about five, six movies with Jack Nicholson. No, it was Bill Russell. It was Bill Russell. Bill Russell. For, oh, same for, day, almost same day. Yeah, as, yeah. yeah, Bill Russell, July on July thirty-first. But not to say, not to say anything about Bob Raffleson. <laughs> You're like whatever the monkeys, whatever. I didn't it's realize that. He, he, took, he took that money and made all these, you know, really idiosyncratic films from that money, you know. That was like the game. I don't know if that was the game plan, but him and his uh, partner, they, they got that monkey money, and then it was like, okay, I'm going to make the movies I want to, and they were really like iconoclastic sort of counterculture movies, you know. Uh, he also made what's another one he made? What was his other big one? Oh, he did six with Nicholson. Uh, besides Five Easy Pieces, I think he did King of Marvin Gardens, and I think he did. Uh, all the way up to uh, Postman Always Rings Twice with Jack Nicholson. It was Postman Always Rings Twice. That's the one I was thinking of. The remake with uh, Jessica Lange and Jack Nicholson, yeah. Uh, there's another one I'm forgetting, but I think the big one was Five Easy Pieces. And I think he, he was a producer on Easy Rider. Another one of these guys that nobody expected. They just thought, oh, you know, he's the guy doing the Monkeys TV show. You right. don't expect that it's going to be. Like all those guys, nobody expected that Nicholson and Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper were going to be big deals. They're just doing these, you know, goofy Roger Corman movies, you know. No one expects Bob Raffleson's (laughs) success. That's right. His chief element is surprise. Surprise and fear and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. To to Jack Nicholson. His four. Four. (laughs) Mario's all. I'm angry at myself. I started it. That's I love that one. Spanish Inquisition is a good one. Supply and fear. fear and uh, supply. Who does a better Spanish Inquisition? Would you say it's that or the Inquisition song from History of the World Part One, John? Oh, I know. Isn't it great? Two comedy geniuses, and they both do a. That's so funny. They both do a sketch on the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition. You can't torque them out of it. That's right. Hey-o. Torquemada. <laughs> Good stuff. A lot of people that died recently. Jesus. I know. We, it usually comes in threes. I think this time it came in like a, a dozen. Yeah, we got Mary Alice died, died July twenty seventh. 
Uh, Pat Carroll. Uh, oh. She was Ursula and uh, Ursula in yep. The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Died on July 30th. Jesus. Tony Dow, Tony Dow Howard uh, Kleinberg died on July 25th. Paul Servino also 25th. David Warner died on uh, died on July 24th. Melanie Rocher, Roche, yes. Are you just reading? Are we just reading celebrity deaths now? Is this what this podcast yeah, has become? Look, there's so many. Jesus, and of course James Caan. They're all it's like June, July. All right. Hmm. Be here bing, all day. boom. Be here all day. Okay. We're okay. I mean, we're we're recovering from Vince Scully. We're we're having a little bit of a. I'm in a little bit of a fog. I'm not going to lie. I, know, but... I, regret, I regret bringing that up. No, that's okay. Yeah, uh, John, did you hear? Uh, let's let's switch gears here. Uh, John, did you hear that they canceled? It's already filmed, but it will never be released. The DC Batgirl movie. Oh, why is that? They. It's too terrible. You mean it's a terrible movie? It's bad. It's terrible. They finished filming, and they Warner's just said, Warner's used the word irredeemable. You know, uh, I didn't even know they were making a movie. So who who's playing the lead? I don't know. You say it was a Batwoman or Batgirl? Batgirl. Oh, a Batgirl movie. Yes. Huh. Interesting there wasn't more talk about who was playing the lead. That should have been a big deal, you know? I feel like DC... That was the one where Michael oh, Keaton right. was going to be the... Um, he was, was going to reprise his role as Batman and be the mentor. I thought that was The Flash. Mm-mm. You know, Leslie you may not be able to release the, the Flash movie. Leslie Grace. Hmm, I can't say I know who that is. Leslie Grace. Um, the Flash movie, they got a problem because what's his name keeps getting arrested, and each time he gets arrested, uh, or you know, uh, every they can't find him. Actually, I guess he's in Hawaii and he's doing all this really bat, bat shit crazy. No pun intended. Oh, um, Ed yeah, Miller. Yeah. He's been. He's. They keep getting him on really crazy stuff, and they say we might be in a position where it might be hard to release this movie. And they were like gearing up for what fall or this or Christmas, and they said this is going to be tough. tough. And uh, he's like, I think he's on the run. I don't know if they can even find him. He, but he's doing weird stuff like breaking into other people's houses and threatening people with guns and going I've, nuts. I've heard this. Um, that, was, that was like a couple few months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, but they, it's like it keeps on going. It's like three different things. And now the latest is they can't even find him. And DC is like, God, if he doesn't just stop already, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to put this movie out. They haven't said that because there's a lot of money. They spent a lot of money making that movie. And it has all this free publicity because all the old Batmans are supposed to reappear. I think it was going to be like Ben Affleck and maybe even Michael Keaton was going to turn up. Yeah, apparently Michael. Apparently Michael Keaton was in this one, as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a weird thing to be in, that position that you spent. You know. I think I think they, they spent close to a hundred million. I think ninety million bucks, and it's shelved. They're not going to release it. It's not even going to go to uh, streaming. It's just it's Jesus. done. Wow. They're, they're just burying it. Wow, that's crazy. Well, if they have to do the same with the Flash, they're going to be. In a real, <laughs> a real hole, money wise. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, you know, over in the MCU, 
they're just throwing anything and see if it sticks. They, they, like they, you know, they've got such goodwill built up. You know, they throw out the Eternals, nobody sees it, and they're like, "Well, okay, we're on to the next thing." You know, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's. But I think that's what happens when you when you do the groundwork that Marvel did. You know, they did all that groundwork where they made you know everything work, and they, they you know you had four, you had you had what you had two Iron Man movies, and then you had. Um, three other uh, uh, origin stories before you even attempt the um, the Avengers. Then that takes yeah. off. You know they've had some missteps. The Avengers two was not Age of Ultron was not uh, was not the best, but you know they 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 seem That's to redeem themselves. When they have a misstep, they seem to come back. You know, for every you know, like I've heard Thor: Love and Thunder was not great. But, oh really? Yeah, I've heard I've heard mi- very mixed reviews on that. But then you get something like a uh, Spider Man, and that's just they knock it out of the park. So I don't know. And I guess that do- that last Doctor Strange did well. Uh, yeah, did well enough. I watched it. It was pretty good. Again, mixed reviews, but uh, solid. Mm-hmm. But I think that happens with the Marvel movies too. Uh, they, the the reviews are. Are mixed, you know, so. Uh, they're almost review proof, and they can survive a few clunkers, like you said. There's so much goodwill built up that, you know, they can survive a few clinkers or clunkers. Right. If it happens. Uh, right. If it happens all the time, people start going, well, they've lost it. They've lost their mojo. Batgirl. I am Batgirl. I would have loved to see a, a good Batgirl movie. I, I don't mind it. Uh, it's hard with Batman because you have all these different comedians, you know, then it's like, well, do you do Robin? Do you just do Batgirl? How do you do it? Do you do Dick Grayson? Who are you doing? You mm-hmm. doing that whole thing? Like, it's there's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. They really yeah, need... You could, do Nightwing. you could do a Nightwing movie. Right. Pretty easily. And maybe just do, instead of doing an origin, do flashbacks to when he worked with Batman. So you're not, you don't have to yeah. have the whole Batman-Robin thing. You can have it for a few minutes in the movie and then... But uh, I'm telling you, John, that idea we had a while back, just let the DC animation studios uh, uh, handle things. Let them, really let them run, the, run the live action stuff. Uh, they know what yeah. they're doing. They know what they're doing. They do some good animated stuff. You know, it's kind of like what Star Wars has done. They let Dave Filoni, who did the, uh, the Clone Wars, he's producing all the live stuff, for better or worse. And mm-hmm. uh, what you get there is cohesion. I feel like it's, you know, it at least feels like it's part of the same universe, you know? So, I don't know. He knows it and he cares. You right. Know, it's like, he knows the backward and forward and he wants it to be good. So, you know. I read an interesting quote by him about these people that all talk, you know, you know, it's always, you know, people always want to be like, yay, I want to be a Sith or whatever, you know? <laughs> the yeah. Sith are so cool. And he was just like, look. I think I forgot what the quote was, but basically, you know, these people have to sell their soul and for that kind of power. And uh, you do not yeah. want to be a Sith. It is not a fun, you know, it is not a fun road to go down. I thought that was a great, uh, I thought that was great. I thought that was great for somebody to go out and go, look, you don't want to. Uh, it's a, it's a smart reply instead of going, yeah, they have the coolest costumes. It's like, <laughs> but in reality, <laughs> this is not, these people are dead men walking. They, right. <laughs> They, yeah, uh, I also read. So. A, I also read it from Twitter. Read a, a great quote about Mark Hamill, and it said that you know while celebrities desperately try to distance themselves from like a beloved character, 
while they're going to make a political statement, Mark Hamill will say, will be like, <laughs> Luke Skywalker hates you personally in canon. <laughs> I thought that was a great quote because he does do that. He's very nice on Twitter, but he will call people out for, yeah. for bullshit and just be like, Luke Skywalker would not... Luke Skywalker would not uh, would not approve. He's doing. Have you seen the Jack in the Box commercial he does? I just heard something about that, and I couldn't make uh, I couldn't figure out what that was about. He used to. When he was a kid. He worked at Jack in the Box. Yeah, he worked there as a teenager, and I guess apparently he got fired for doing a clown voice on the drive-through. Remember when they had the clown? The whether you go through the yeah. the, the, the drive-through oh to the Jack in the Box, and uh-huh. there was like little like little uh, plastic clown Clown-head. on the. Apparently, he was yeah. doing clown voices. And uh, and yeah, he got fired for that. So yeah, there's a whole he's back now. I can so, so, so what he went so he went to some Jack in the Box, right? Was it his old Jack in the Box? Or? Well, he's it's in a commercial now. It's a commercial. Oh, okay. He's in a commercial where it's Jack with the big Jack head, and he's like, uh, "We've hired wow. Mark Hamill or whatever," and he's like, "I forgot what he says, but uh, the punchline is." Um, if you don't want me, if you don't want to get fired, you'll you'll do it. He loved being Luke Skywalker, so it's great. Because um, I think, unlike Hans, uh, Han Solo, unlike Harrison Ford, he I think uh, started out as a fan of those kind of movies. He got it. He got right. It. You know, he was like, yeah, I love I love these kind of movies, and the fact that I'm going to be in one is great. And even when it was just maybe going to be one, he said, "This is cool. Maybe this will be a cult film." I think they're all thinking maybe this will just play like a cult film. It'll have a little group of people that love it and I'll be part of, you know, that. <laughs> so, right. I think he loves the fact that it, you know, it got bigger than that. He loves it. He's the real representative of our, of nerd culture. Well, you can tell he appreciates the fans. He always takes time out to talk to him. And... Yeah. Right. Not fucking, what's his name? Uh, who? 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 Oh Jesus! Who? Who? Uh, who? Uh, 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 who? Uh, he did. He did the. He did the board game thing on Geek and Sundry. Will Wheaton? You no, know, he was the. Yeah, Will, Will Wheaton. Wheaton? He's the represent. He's the representative of nerd culture. So. Oh well, you know. Get out! Get out! Of here. Well, he's a self-appointed. He on, uh, he, he's yeah, the, he, well, he was on that uh, Big Bang Theory a couple times, I guess, right? Yeah, he's. He, he's more a famous nerd, whereas I feel like. Mark Hamill really embraces the, the, the fact that he that he isn't. You know, I don't know. I don't. Know. It's weird. It's, it's like a weird. It's a different. It's level it's yeah. I think I feel like Will Wheaton is very self aware, and Mark Hamill. It's just Mark Mark Hamill's just being Mark Hamill, is the yeah, way I he feel. He just is. He mm-hmm. just is our Will Wheaton. Will. Uh, I'm 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 hot and cold about Will Wheaton, but um, um, yeah. Uh, I will say that terrible luck. Huh. He's got terrible luck. Uh, Does he? I don't want somebody like that on my team. And he's he's also yeah, and then he's also got the he's got the feud going with Shatner, which I'm totally on board with. Oh him. yeah, what's what, what's up with Shatner? Oh, Shatner was a was shitty to him while when he went because they were filming the Next Generation <laughs> and uh, they were filming the Next Generation and um, one of the Star Trek movies, a couple of the Star Trek movies concurrently. I think like the last two Star Trek movies they did they were doing while. Uh, while it was in production, while Next Generation was in production. So they're both filming on the Paramount lot, and I don't remember, I think Will Wheaton went to go visit him, and he was shitty to him. I don't know the details. <laughs> it's, 
It doesn't say, it sounds totally possible though, right? But it, I read a, gore, a great quote where they were talking about Shat. You know, remember I told you how Shatner came out and said that uh, he knew Roddenberry and that Roddenberry would be spitting in his grave over the direction the, the, the Trek franchise had taken? Well, somebody unearthed a clip of, of, uh, of Roddenberry talking about the, um, how terrible Star Trek V, the William Shatner-directed Star Trek is. And he basically, it's basically uh, Roddenberry going, that is not Star Trek. That is not Star Trek at all. And uh, so there you go. You know, take it with a grain of salt. But um, but uh, somebody said in the comments to that, somebody said uh, that they had once heard that if William, if Leonard Nimoy and Spock met, they would be best friends. But if Captain Kirk ever met William Shatner, he'd beat the shit out of him in an Applebee's parking lot. <laughs> That's funny. That's actually kind of true. I don't think Kirk would tolerate uh, William Shatner's behavior. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's just that's for you. That's for fun, huh? We're really getting di- we're really deep diving on the geek talk. We're really deep diving on the yeah. geek talk. Love it. It's it's geek talk. It's geek talk. So we're gonna we're gonna play this game now. This is gonna be for this is gonna we're gonna even the playing field for Jake a little bit. We're not gonna do trivia. We're not gonna do trivia today because Jake is kind of a, at a disadvantage for trivia sometimes. Not that you're not smart, Jake. It's just not everybody has a brain for trivia, and that's fine. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull up. We're going to play a... What are you trying to say? Yeah, I'm trying to say you're dumb. Yeah. But uh, you're smart enough to get the, the meeting going, so God bless you. But uh, no, no, no. We're going to play a game called... It's the Rolling Stone game. Uh, so it's all music. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a card off to you, and we're going to let Jake kick it off. And what all you have to do is one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we'll just say, I'm just gonna pick something out of the air right now as an example. I'm gonna say songs with the word blue in the title. So, Jake, all you have to do is name one song, and then John, you would name another one, and you keep going until one person taps out. Um, I like these. These are, I'm good. I'm all right. That's all you gotta do is name one, it kicks back to the other person. And then we go till the other person uh, taps out. All right, gotcha. You got that, John? All right. So you're gonna kick. It. You're gonna kick it off, handsome Dan. And the category is songs containing the word. I'm, I'm assuming this is song titles. Songs containing the word good. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh God. Good. Mm-hmm. Johnny, be good. Oh, that's a good one. Johnny, be good. John. Good vibrations. Uh, wow. That was the <laughs> way. No. No, I thought I had one. No. Okay. Jake, I Taylor made this game for you, buddy. Like, yeah, I'm, de- I'm good at this. And then it's like, I'm like oh, shit. <laughs> good. Uh, 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 uh. It's not good by Birdie. No, that's not. Uh, Works up that. Uh, uh, oh, uh, feel good ink. The gorillas. Okay, perfect, John. Uh, good times, bad times, Led Zeppelin. Hey, there we go. Jake. Mm, 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 mm. I 
think what it's uh no the songs can't take my eyes off you shit nope i got nothing i'm tapping out oh uh, okay how old was that that was two to two yeah. I would have accepted uh, Good Night Irene. I would have accepted Good Times by Sheik. Would have accepted uh, uh, Good Night Sweetheart. Uh, you know. Oh, Good Night Sweetheart. Oh, would you have accepted uh, Where Have All the Good Times Gone? Of course I would have, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. John, here we go. Are you ready? Okay. Your category Songs yeah. that yeah. mention a body of water. Songs that mention a body of water. Who's kicking off? You are, John. You. Um, sea of Love. Ooh, nice. Uh, Blue Bayou. Oh, dang, John. Damn. Ah, uh, Zaba Zaba Zaba. Uh, Whiskey River. Hey, how you doing? Uh, um, oh, Rob. This one, no. I can always get one immediately, and then I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Uh, no. No, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Jake, you are kicking off. Songs that have one word in the title. Songs that have one, one word, word in the title. Happy. All right, John? Right on. Uh, one. Mm. Jake. Uh, uh, Africa. <laughs> so there we go. John? Um, waterfall yellow. Jake. Um. No, no, no. Uh, thriller. Michael Jackson. Hey, there we go. John. Uh, hair by the Cowsills. Wow, John. I Jake. Know. Jake. Sorry. Um, Mm-mm. Mm. Is Beyonce's song "Girls"? Is that? I, I don't think that's one word. I don't remember. Uh, we'll accept it. John. Okay. Um, no. Uh, 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 Sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel. Wow. Jake. Uh Okay, okay. Uh ba 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 ma 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 nope. Mm. Shit. No, that's it. <laughs> I like oh, that you, you start out so strong, it's great. I love I it. I know. I'm like I can I always I can always get like two right off the bat and then I'm like where I can't think of it anymore. Nobody, nobody did a song called Shit? There's got to be somebody out there. G.G. Allen. G.G. Allen. There you go. There you go. Uh, John, this is songs containing the word don't. Don't. Uh, 
Whenever you're ready, sir. Uh, don't let me don't let me down by the Beatles. Uh, don't go chasing waterfalls. There we go, John. Uh, don't go breaking my heart. Damn it! <laughs> um. Jake, this one's going to be... There we go. I was going to give you that hint. Yeah, there we go. Don't stop believing. Uh, John? Uh, by Elvis Presley, a song called Don't. <laughs> oh, that's two categories uh, right there. One word and... Uh, yeah, even better. Uh, a, yeah, is, it like, is it like Scrabble? Can you get like a double... Uh, sure, you get a double, double word score in the corner there. Don't stop till you get enough. Dang! Mini, 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 What? John? Um, uh, don't Bother Me, also by the Beatles. Wow. John proving why the Beatles are important to musical history, much to my chagrin. Mario's all, you don't have to say the group, God damn it. I don't, I don't care. I don't think that might not be the song name. There's, I don't care. I love it. Oh no, that's called I love it. Shit. Uh I had another one, fuck. What was it? <laughs> Son of a bitch. This is great. This is great. This is great material. Perfect. <laughs> mm, uh, 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 mm, uh, ooh. uh no. Think eighties. Think eighties. I had one. Think Breakfast Club. Think Breakfast Club. No, don't you forget about me. Yes, there it is. There you go, John. Uh, don't stop uh, by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> you sort of committed. That's it, right? Yep. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't Jake. stop thinking about tomorrow. Jake, right. don't stop, stop thinking about your answer. Yeah, what's in it? what's your answer? That's the song, right? He just don't did it. Yeah, but John, oh, I, that was my that was my answer. <laughs> you can't just like <laughs> adopt his answer. Like, man, great. Yeah. That's oh yeah. Wait, wait, what he just said? <laughs> what he said? What he said? That's my answer too. <laughs> uh, fuck. No. Um, don't. No, that's, I, I can't. That's it. Okay. Last that, one. That was, a good, that was a good run, though. There we go. Last one. Songs that mention a number. Songs that mention a number. Jake, you're kicking off. Okay. Um, why can't I think of any? <laughs> Uh, wow, why can't I? I really can't think of any. I know. Mm -mm. Nope. I honestly can't think of any. John, can you name any <laughs> song that sounds, starts with, has a number in the title? Uh, one by Three Dog Night. There we go. That's it. That's it. Jake, we, we gave you every chance, buddy. Yeah, I'm also playing against John, okay, who's like the Rolodex of music of music trivia. I'll go against John anytime. 
I think I'm there afraid. You go. See? Do it Look, right now. Mar- All right, Mar- here we go. Beat me. Okay, here we go. Songs. Yes, you got the, yeah, but you got you got the cards. <laughs> well, no, it's, here we go. The they don't have the answers. They don't have they don't have answers on them. They're just prompts. Songs that mention oh. songs that mention a city. John, go. Uh, city of New Orleans. Uh, L.A. Woman. Uh, New York, New York. Ooh. Um, Detroit Rock City. Ooh, good one. Uh, Sweet Home Chicago. Cleveland Rocks. Mmm, a really good one. Uh, oh, uh, let's see. Mmm. Uh, oh, San Francisco. Uh, you mean, are you talking about, uh, if you know when uh, you go to San Francisco, that one? Bring some, put some flowers in your hair, I right. think the name of the song is San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Billy Joel. God, I hate that song. Okay. <laughs> I hate that I had to resort to that. Was right. worth it? Was it worth it? Mm-hmm. Uh, by uh, R.E.M. Dang! Um, uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, we took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we fought the bloody British at the Battle of New Orleans. Battle of New Orleans. <laughs> hey, we got the whole song. Is that, uh, is that, who is that? Is that, is that, uh, who was oh, that? Oh, it's what as, I don't know, Johnny Horton or whatever. Yes, guys, I don't know. They used to play that on K Earth. Believe it or not, yeah, he had a whole career. I think of singing songs about you know cities and battles and and famous historical events and stuff like that. That's great. Uh, played by Johnny Horton, Jimmy Driftwood, also Lonnie Duncan and Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. There you go. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is it? Let's see. Uh, is it back to me? Mm-hmm. It is back to me. Okay. Zabaziba. Oh, um, Tallahassee Lassie. Ooh, how about? Uh... Hooray for Hollywood! Yet the Hollywood with Johnny Scott Davis. <laughs> wow! Wow! Uh, how about uh, oh, uh, this is sort of lesser known. L.A. is my lady. Oh God, the horrible Sinatra when they tried to make another New yeah, York, New said- York. Yeah, they said, okay, you've done Chicago songs, you've done New York songs. See if you can come up with one for L.A. L.A. is my lady. And how about, like, hey, got anything else? how about this? Ooh, Speaking ooh. of Vince Scully, my Dodgers and my Lakers, I love L.A., Randy Newman. There you go. Come I on. love L.A. Which became the anthem. That's crazy that that became. We a, love it. It's kind of an indictment because of the Because nobody, city. it was a good song and it had a sense of humor. Nobody came up with anything better. So he said, no, this is the one. Right, right. A little self-deprecating. Uh, yeah. 
Yep. Well, I think the city uh, was going to make it their official song, and because of the line, look at that bum there, he's down on his knees, they wouldn't do it. And they're like, fuck you, it's already the unofficial theme song for L.A. What do you care if he's talking about a bum, you know? Right, 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 right. Mm. Okay, is it back to me? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I might be running out here. Um, oh, Memphis, Tennessee. Chuck Berry. Uh, what about uh, Viva Las Vegas? Hey, good one. Ooh, that was on the other day. Unbelievable. And Margaret was never lovelier. Holy cow. <laughs> you just look at the screen and go, how is she possible? How there, can a human being move like that? <laughs> it's unbelievable. She's did, like did, moving three body parts in the opposite direction. Did she try to turn off a lamp? <laughs> that was the best. I pulled all the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's too good. She is too good. And still alive. All right. Viva Las Vegas. So, let's see. It's back to me. Uh, um, Songs with cities in the title. That's right. Uh, ooh, oh, ooh, um, ooh. I, I got s- it. Oh, no, that's not a city. That's a state. Uh, I just thought of a good one. I just thought of a good one. Sweet home, oh, Tuscaloosa. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just thought of a good one. Okay, so you're set. If I come up with one, you're set. I am. I am. Uh, it's like it's like you got your shot already set up. Um, oh, um, in a New York minute. Dang. How about this one? No sleep till Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Nice. Well played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, Rockaway Beach. Uh, London Calling. Mm, nice. Nice. Um... Ooh, 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 ooh. I just thought of a good one. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We could, hey, Jake, we could do this all day long. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> At least I was giving the viewers mercy. <laughs> Yeah, they're like blue. They're like, they're like good old Jake. Ooh, um, ooh, ooh. for them. Uh, Mississippi. That's a city. That's not a city. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Let's see. Oh. Uh, um, oh. Ooh, ooh, I thought of another one. Oh, I have, right, you're set. I have choices. All right, you're choices you're here. Choices. Mm-hmm. The viewers are begging for mercy. The listeners are like, "Okay, we get it. You know songs about mm-hmm. cities. We get it. Mm-hmm. We don't care. We'll do this all day. I can do this all day." That's from a Marvel movie that was actually released called Captain America: The First Avenger. Mm-hmm. John, you got one. You better give me a I'm hint. Thinking. 
Mm. We'll wrap no, it up. We'll, I think I'm, I'm running. I'm running dry. Well, yeah, well, I would have dry. accepted Lodi mm. by Credence. Mm. You don't like that one? Or I would have accepted Werewolves yeah. of London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? What about El Paso? Out in the West mm-hmm. Texas town of El Paso. I was in love with a Mexican girl. Oh, I know what I could have done. I could have done uh, by X, Los Angeles. Hey. She had to leave. Bam, 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 bam. Los Angeles. There you bam, go. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> we've, got, we've got Wichita Lineman. Like. Oh, Glenn Campbell. Yeah, Wichita Lineman. That's right. <laughs> 88 seconds in Greensboro. John, what is the song? Uh, uh, what is the song by the band? Their most famous song. Um, oh, uh, the the night they let old Dixie down. No, the other they, one. The other one. The night they tore old Dixie down. Um, the other one. The oh, other the one. wait. That's yeah. The big one. What is that song about? I have no idea. It's funny. I've I've sort of looked it up. I thought, what the hell are they talking about? And I have no idea. It, it, are, the, are the lyrics "Take a load off Annie"? No, it's Fanny. But I can't. I've looked at the lyrics. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about or who the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I I always thought, what an odd thing. Is it Annie? Is it Fanny? Yeah, I can't figure it out. Now, are you taking a load off of her? Are you helping her? Are you telling her to sit down? Like take a load off. It kind of sounds like they're. It's kind of like the. Well, he says and put the weight. Put the weight right back on me. I don't know. It almost sounds like it's um, like something out of the Bible or something. It's almost like poetry. But I've looked at those lyrics. I thought, I can't make head or fucking tail of it, you know? I don't know. I don't but know. all their stuff sounded, I mean, they wrote all their own stuff, but it always was written to sound like an old folk song. Like the night they drove old Dixie down. That's like, People always say that sounds like something out of a Civil War songbook. It, they just had a knack for that. They could hmm. make it sound... They could write these songs that sounded like old folk songs, and then they could perform them like they sounded like old folk songs. That, that's why Martin Scorsese did a documentary. That's why. That's why the whole thing. Well, he loved them to death. Uh, you know, that's the. That's so funny. So many people love the band, and I've tried. I've really tried. I've picked up albums. They always rave about the first couple albums, and they had a relationship with Dylan, and people always go on and on about how great they were, and they've always left me a little cold. And every couple of years, I'll try again, and it just... The, other musicians really loved the band. There's other musicians that wanted to join the band. I think Eric Clapton famously offered. He said, "If you need, if you need somebody, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd love to join the band." And Robbie Robertson said, "I was embarrassed." I said, "Well, we've already got a guitar player, and it's me." <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not giving you but my job. Hung out with the band. They they left thinking like George Harrison played, I guess, with the band and hung out with them. He said, "God, I would love to be in the band." Well, Jesus, you're in the Beatles. But at that point, he had just had enough of the Beatles. They didn't let him do many songs per album, and he was right. underappreciated. And there was always a lot of hype. And he just thought, God, the band just sort of come out and do it. I'd love to be in the band. So it was all these, these people that were like, gee, that's, that's the band for me. They're kind of like a self-contained unit, you know? Right. Yeah, I never got into them either. I'm glad we're on that same page. I'm glad we're... Uh, and it's funny because you hear some people raving about them. And, of course, they back up. Uh, Bob Dylan, they backed him up live when he went electric, so that was a big freaking deal. Right. And then they're on Planet Waves, which is a great album. And you just go, well, I just don't get it. But, boy, they talk about him like they're the second coming. Right. And um, 
So it's probably what's kept me from watching. <laughs> I never could quite get around to watching The Last Waltz, but everybody and their brother is in that movie. It's not just Dylan and the uh, the band. Everybody takes a turn at the mic in that movie. Hmm. I'm still not watching it. <laughs> I know, even though it's Scorsese, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Every, sometimes, there. sometimes it's hard to be convinced. But I, I've done that with bands right. too, where where people have told me, uh, you know, most famously the Beatles. But uh, you know, people like, <laughs> but you know, people have been like, you got, and I've given bands uh, tries on more than one occasion. And sometimes you just can't get into it, man. You got to like just the Grateful Dead. That's another one I've tried. I've tried different eras. I've tried different albums. I've tried listening to the live stuff. I think you either get them or you don't. And I don't know that you... The, the famous joke is you've got to be stoned to think that they're doing anything, but I don't think that's it. I think you just have to be really tuned in, and I, can, I just do not get it. I absolutely do not get the appeal of the Grateful Dead. Who is that band for you, Jake? Who is the one band that you go, I don't get the... I don't understand. There's got to be more than one, obviously. Oh, God. Ed Sheeran, obviously. Pick a, pick a new country singer. Uh, Blake Shelton. Any new country singer. Uh, um, it's like this, the new sound. What? That's who we got. Kenny Chesney. Uh, Luke Bryan. Fan. Blake Shelton, never a fan. Keith Urban. Yeah. Waylon Jennings. George. Like, I, like, I like some older country or like country adjacent stuff, but just straight country and not. My, my daughter asked me a question yesterday, and I really had to think about it. Uh, if you could, if you could eliminate one musical genre from the earth, Ooh. what would it be? I, I don't think I would, because no, the ones I don't like have influenced stuff that I do like. So that's I a said, very enlightened response. It is because yeah. uh, because I immediately went uh, screamo. I immediately went screamo music. What's so, screamo? Uh, is that like is that like emo? It it it's, is, but it's uh it's like hardcore. It's like think um think like punk rock metal, um and the guys are are uh, they literally just scream their head off. Yeah, it's literally just oh, like uh, that. What is it? Uh, is it like Deer Hoof? What is that band? Deer Hoof for Deaf Heaven? What is it? I have some no band idea. where it's literally just all screaming at top volume. It just sounds like it's Animal from the Muppets. It's. Yeah. Yeah. And you think, how can you even, how can you even detect any sort of melody? But they don't want melody. No. You just go. There's got to be something to hang your hat on. They just want screaming. I go. How can you tell one song from the next or one album from the next? It's primal scream therapy. Is what it is. Deer hoof or deaf heaven or something, and it just it was. She said, "Listen to this," and it was the whole damn album was just screaming. And I thought, all right. And I thought, that's probably what my dad thought when he heard me listening to like the cram- the cramps of the pixies. Right, ah, it's just a bunch of screaming. But at least there was some melody there. Right, <laughs> Going, this doesn't even have the added value of a little melody. Right, <laughs> that would have been my pick. Lynn. What about you, John? To... What would you eliminate? Oh, I don't know, uh, because then you know it, it's presumptuous because somebody, whatever genre you're going to eliminate, of course, loves it, you know? of course, of course. But, that's that's part uh, of the for fun. Me, I don't know. What would you What would you never miss if they got rid of it? Well, there's a lot, you know. As a genre, um, as a genre, you know what what passes for country these days, modern country. Yeah, I could really. I'll tell you what. Here's a genre. How about this? I could absolutely remove remove any song that's using auto tune for something other than you know, getting your pitch right. Anybody who's abusing auto-tune. 
So every song in the last 25 years, it's some when modern pop music. Got it. So when <laughs> it's using auto tune as like a rhythm uh, to set the rhythm, where it's just always there. You're just sort of chopping stuff up for the, for the, for the. Uh, so you, you just want to eliminate, but that will knock out that one song that we all love, the the share song that we all love. Uh, do you believe? I think. She's the first one, isn't she? The first one. Yeah, she's that? the first one to use auto tune. But I mean, not to use, but to use it. That was invented for a certain reason, and now everyone uses it uh, as a way to set the the beat or they use it, the rhythm. They use it for evil. They use it properly. It's fine when you're. What was it supposed to do? Sound. If you played your guitar out of tune. It was a way to get it in tune, right? Yeah. Like on the tape, but people now, whatever they're doing, the thing that makes it sound like people are, uh, you know singing through a blender or chopping it up or you know singing as a cross a bunch of rebar it all sounds what like it, it all go- sounds like daft punk yeah right so um now somebody other than uh but Cher, daft punk use it to their advantage right they don't, it's not they don't better do it stronger sound. faster yeah they kind of do it to enhance that robotic sound they're looking for is what they're yes. trying to do they use uh, it as somebody, an effect i wish i could remember who it was somebody on a plane they said somebody came up to them and it wasn't Cher. Somebody, uh, I guess there might have been, maybe it was rap or something, but somebody had used it, and somebody walked up to him on a plane, like another musician, and say, thanks a fucking lot, because now there's no end to it. And it wasn't Cher with Believe. It was another song. Somebody had done another popular song was that it had sort of used Britney on Britney Spears? And T-Pain? So, uh, what's that? Any, any T-Pain song? I can't remember, but some other musician saw him on a plane and said, thanks a fucking lot. There'll never be an end to this now. You started this, and we'll never be done with it. <laughs> he said, it was a funny story, but I can't remember who the hell it was who walked up to who. But they zeroed right in on him and said, you know, you've, you've got something out of the bottle that's never going to end. It's ruined everything on the radio for the last 20 years, you know. Because everybody uses it now. Now it's ubiquitous. Now if you're, if you're in high school, you've never known a world without it. Even country uses it now. I'd say country artists even use it. Yeah, it's now it's just used to just, you know, uh, pick people who aren't particularly good singers but are particularly attractive and marketable. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So now I sound, I know I sound like somebody's old dad, you know. It's like, it is T Pain. Back in my day, it took talent to be a musician. Well, you hear all these people like from 64. They'll ask somebody like Dean Martin or somebody, you know, what they think of the Beatles. And they go, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of nothing, you know. T-Pain was flying to the... T-Pain was... There's no music quality to that, you know. T-Pain was flying to the BET Awards a couple of years ago when a flight attendant approached him to say that another passenger wanted to talk. The person was waiting in the galley. She informed him T-Pain... She informed him T-Pain unfastened his seatbelt and got up to investigate. Uh, Standing at the rear of the plane was Usher... He said, yo, man, I need to talk to you. I need to express something that's on my mind. T-Pain recalls, and it was kind of like, you fucked up music, like, completely. Uh, <laughs> so it was Usher. So uh, Usher's the okay. one that told so Although I'm not familiar with T-Pain. Did he do something with the auto-tune? Or? He was the one that kind of brought it to hip-hop. T-Pain, okay. T-Pain uh, beat it. Like a dead horse, beat it like a dead horse. He okay, is too okay. much. I mean, although although Usher uses although Usher uses uh, auto tune a lot too, so I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he does. So you so he should have said, "Well, if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black, you, you know? suck it, <laughs> Usher." T Pain on Usher's label. 
I don't know. So what year do you think that was, Mario? How far back would that have been? Uh, let's see somebody's it. already saying you fucked things up with that, you know. I guess it doesn't list the time, but I'm just wondering how far back that was because this has been a the article a is uh, the article was from 2014. Okay, so you know. oh, T Pain has his own labels. Never mind. Oh no, he's got um, he's under RCA Records, which Usher also owns. Yeah, so technically, he's under one of his labels. Anyway, that's cool. That, it's cool that you could find that with the little information I gave you. You were able to find that. <laughs> I knew it was. Uh, I knew it was on a plane. I thought the exchange was on a plane, but uh, that's all I knew. So that's the genre I would remove. It's not really a genre, but anything using auto tune, I would remove uh, from from the planet. Okay. So I guess that's most of the music. That's probably ninety percent of the music being produced these days. I'll send you the article there, John. You can you can. Uh... It said it ruined music, but it saved hip hop. So there you go. Read the article and find out. Dig in there. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we're going to auto tune our voices. Uh, so when we come back and we talk about uh, Die Hard, it will sound pleasant. It will sound more pleasant. Do you believe in love? What, you don't like share now? What, you don't like share? Ah, <sighs> uh, God. Yeah, National Treasure, John. Come on. <laughs> National Treasure. She's got you, babe. All right, we'll be... See, he's and thieves. We'll be right back. Hey, we're back, and while we're in the, on the break, uh, I, I looked up the top 25. This is according to Complex.com. Top 25 uh, greatest auto-tune songs. And, John, you tell us if this matches your list. Number 25, DJ Class F slash Kanye West, I'm the Shit, 2009. T-Pain, I'm Sprung, 2005. Discovery, Osaka Loop Line, 2009. Saigon F, Just Blaze, Gotta Believe It, uh, 2008. That's number 21. Uh, the Game uh, featuring Lil Wayne, uh, My Life, 2008. Bon Ivar. Wow, Bon Ivar. That is not a name I expected to hear on this list. Uh, bon Woods. Bon Ivar. Are you bon familiar with Bon Ivar? I am. You say Bon Ivar. I've heard of Bon Ivar, but I could be Bon Ivar. I never know how to pronounce it. So I just say how I feel. DJ Khaled bon featuring Iver. T-Pain, Trick Daddy, Rick Ross, uh, I Am So Hood. Jim Jones featuring... Oh, wait, hold on. Jim Jones uh, featuring uh, Jewel Santana, Pop Champagne, uh, B.O.B., Auto-Tune. I remember that. Uh, T-Pain and Kanye West, Good Life. Lil Wayne, Pos- Prostitute Flange. Uffy, Pop the Glock, <laughs> Swagger Like Us, Kanye West, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, DeMarco, uh, wait, oh, it, the thing blanked out on me, damn it, 
Uh, we got Birdman at number 11 with Money to Blow. Share, Believe. That what year was that? That uh, it doesn't give me the year on this one. Oh, 1998. Oh, you were, you were, 1998. Okay, because you were listing some. Yeah, you were listing some years in there. Can't believe it. I was the earliest. T pin again. Lil Wayne. Can't believe it. 2008. Kanye West. Heartless. G Unit featuring Young Buck. Rider Part Two. 2008. Young Jeezy. Young Jeezy featuring Kanye West. Put on. Daft Punk. One more time. 2000. Lil Wayne featuring Static Major. Lollipop. Oh, Lollipop's a great song. Sing it. Sing it, uh, Jake. Sing Lollipop. <laughs> what do you say? Jamie Foxx featuring T-Pain. Blame It, 2009. Snoop Dogg, Sexual Eruption, 2007. And number one, T-Pain, Young Jock Boy, Buy You a Drink. Shoddy snapping, two thousand seven. There you so go. T Pain is on there more than any other artist. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> on that list. That's it. And what what was the heading of the list? People that have used Auto Tune prominently. Uh, Complex presents the twenty five greatest Auto Tune songs. Okay, and so t- it sounds like T Pain was on there more. T-Pain than T Pain is artist, the king. But- the but king. Share at ni- nineteen ninety eight. That that sounds like it's the furthest back. <laughs> I think that was so, the first big hit. Say, I think that was the first big hit to use it. I think that was the first big. Yeah. So you're talking 20 years at least. We it was something so, weird about it, but we couldn't put our finger on it. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was. Yeah. So you know what's funny is I'm raving about this and it's old news because if you're if you're now out of, just getting out of high school, you've never known a world without auto tune, right. <laughs> right? So you know, it's also not as prevalent. It's also not as prevalent, John, and probably the, the music you listen to. You know, you listen to right. the rock and roll, so you're not going to hear it that often, you know? Right, right. Right. But if somebody's got the radio on at work, I'll go, holy cow. And I've said, geez, every genre. I mean, it, when, when country people start using autotune, I thought, well, this is just, it's everywhere. You're going right. to just, you know, that means that every Well, if it's, if it's shitty, country music will use it. That's pretty much the, mm. if it's awful and grating to the ears, it's going to be on a country song. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that's just what they do. But listen, let's, we're not here to talk about auto-tune anymore. We're here to talk about Die Hard. I know. At home, everyone's going, good God, it's like, get off of my lawn. What is this? You're going to spend 20 minutes shouting about auto-tune? Old man yells at Cloud. We're going to get a lot of that. Uh, I, mean. know. I know. But we, we still love you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, John, did you go back? John, did you go back and listen to last week's episode? I did. Did you Did you realize that you, that you, that you just, that you... <laughs> Completely defensive about NPR, but nobody said anything bad about it. Uh, Oh, you mean it didn't need defending? Yeah, we were were just saying they talk slow, and you're like, fuck you, that's where I get my news. And we're like, whoa, John, it was great. No one said anything bad about it. It was a fun... Yeah, I listened back. I I, I was wondering how how we went down that rabbit hole. It sounded like you... I think, Mario, I thought you were, like, winding up to start really... (laughs) No, fasting NPR and anybody that would listen to it. So I thought it needed defending, but I probably overreacted. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It was fun. It's fun to get you uh, riled up sometimes. Uh, it's uh, funny because I because I it's funny because I think you were going after Patrick, 
and I, I took the bait. Because <laughs> uh, I thought, if really all you're getting out of NPR is Prairie Home Companion. No, we were, no, Pat, uh, Jake just brought up the fact that they talk slowly, and I agreed, and then it was just like, whoa, John's just gone. Yeah. John's gone. John's gone ape uh, shit. No, I, 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 did, I did catch that, and I think the only reason I can think of is because that is when I get up in the morning. The alarm goes off. It's set to that station. Sure. That I listen to every day, and that's where I get most of my news from. So I thought, and you you hear people going after under other news outlets, and I thought this. I I must have thought it in the moment. This is a news outlet that needs defending. John, listen. None of us. <laughs> none of us on this podcast are going to go after NPR. That we are the last yeah, people that yeah. are going to go after the, the national. We <laughs> so want to. So you're right. I, I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole, but I did. <laughs> we want so the tote. We want the tote break. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it because I never get to do this. It's Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's uh, from 1995 with a 7.6 on IMDb and a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. That seems terribly low. That seems terribly low. I always thought this was a... Say that uh, again. Rotten Tomatoes is 59%. I always thought that was a... That does seem low. I always thought that was, this was a more highly regarded uh, movie, but maybe, you know, you never know with Rotten Tomatoes. You get a bunch of knuckleheads on there. Detective John McClane, Bruce Willis, is now divorced, alcoholic, and jobless after getting fired for his reckless behavior and bad attitude. He is called back into action, however, when a cryptic terrorist takes a New York City hostage in a lethal game of Simon Says and refuses to speak with anyone but McClane. Teaming up with a street-savvy electrician named Zeus Carver, McClane dashes through the city, trying to stay one step ahead of the murderous plot. It uh, released on uh, May 19th, 1995. It was directed by John McKiernan. It stars Bruce Willis, Jeremy Irons, Samuel Jackson, Graham Greene, Colleen Camp, uh, Larry Brigman, and Sam Phillips with music by Michael Common. It had a budget or it hit, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what the budget is. Would anyone care to guess what the box office is? Oh, the budget was $90 million. $90 million. Would anyone care to guess what the box office was? Mm. John? Well, I seem to remember this was a hit. So uh, $90 million is a pretty high budget. So to make any profit, <laughs> it's going to have to be, uh, I don't know, I'll say like I made $120 million. You, $120? Uh, Jake, what do you say, Sunshine? Uh, I mean... I think it did. I'm going to say $200 million. Ooh, you guys are both just slightly off. $366.1 million. $366.1 million. That's a hit. Tripled its money, pretty much. Almost quadrupled. God damn. Uh, yeah. This is, this is a year after Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, 1995, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Sam, Jackson, Samuel, Sam Jackson's Jackson hot. Was any bit hotter, yeah. Right, Sam yeah. Jackson was super hot. He he did this and uh, you know Jurassic Park are pretty close together, and uh, I think this is yeah. So yeah 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 yeah. It earned twenty two million its opening weekend. Um, I can't remember. You know, um, oh, it was I? I felt what it was that it was the highest grossing uh, film of nineteen ninety five. Wow, how about that? Now, uh, now you know, here, I can't remember how I... What's that? I, I want to say, I'm sorry to inter keep interrupting you, but I wanted to give you some um, some context for the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, 
individually, Robert, like Roger Ebert, gave it three out of four stars. Um, mm. It did, he said it's basically a wind-up action toy, cleverly made and delivered with high energy. It delivers just what it, what it advertises. Um, so you know some of the uh, some of the critics were were high on it, um, and some low. Variety called it the least accomplished of the Die Hard series. Um, so, so it just depends. Kind of a weird term. I don't know. What that I means. feel better. I feel like this is a, a huge step up from two. Uh, for me, this is pretty close to the original. Uh, as far yeah, as I didn't like the second one so much. Yeah, second one's all right, but it's um, it didn't seem to to grab you and keep you like the first one. What I liked about this one, watching it again, and, and it, it, it struck me as I think this is the main difference. You know, part the thing about part two is it it a lot of it. When you watch the original Die Hard, even though it is set in a skyscraper, in a skyscraper, and it was shot on in in the studio, a lot of the scenes were shot in a simulated skyscraper. It feels like you're in that location, though. That that location feels like a real place. Um, yeah. There's a lot of out, you know, you get a lot of the establishment shots outside of Nakatomi Plaza, all that stuff, and obviously some, you know, you have to have a controlled environment, so a lot of it is shot on a soundstage, but it, it feels like they're really in that building. Uh, same here. You know, this the, it's shot on the streets of New York. They're driving around New York. They're driving through Central Park. They're running around the city. So it feels like a lot of it is, you know, I'd say 75% of this movie is set on the streets of New York. So it gives it a real feeling, like some of those, you know, some of those old school 70s movies that we enjoyed. You know, you really felt like yeah, it, New York was a yeah. real place. There's people walking around, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So... Uh, I like this one because it feels like it's like it, it's in a real spot. It's really happening. Obviously, you know, like the vault and all that stuff is you know a soundstage somewhere, but uh, yeah, it feels real. So that's really what grabbed me about this one, and that's why I always kind of like this one. I felt like this one was very close to the original in that in that regard. But uh, Jake, had you ever seen this one? Uh, I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it. Tell us about it now that you've seen it like, as a whole, like most movies. Um, I thought it was solid. That was a solid movie. I mean, um, I definitely, I feel like I definitely liked it more than the second one. I don't remember. How did the second one die hard? I was wondering if that made, uh, made its money back. I'm I don't think it was a flop, but, uh, no, I wonder I mean, this is rated more highly than it. Uh, it had a budget of 62 and it is 240 million. So it wasn't a flop by any means. No. No, no. But we were yeah, riding I, high. It just didn't, didn't, didn't grab me like this one. No, yeah. We were riding high on that, uh, on, you know, on that Die Hard. For the, we just wanted to see more. And you know what's funny? Die Hard, yeah. Die Hard kind of falls into that. Um, Die, Die Hard, the second one, falls into that pit that we always talk about where a sequel isn't exactly. It's what Mark Hamill talked about about Star Wars kind of being more of the same. And uh, this felt very different than, than the original. Um, you know, yeah. the, the plot's different. They're running around. You know, it's New York. So it could not be more different than being stuck in a building. So I think that really helps it. Whereas I feel like part two, you're in the airport, you're running around. It's a little more of wide open space, but it felt like a retread of the first one, and this one does not feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one felt more like a buddy, this, almost like a buddy cop movie a little bit. 
more so than right, right, one, at least. exactly. With Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis together, and I thought I thought they were a good pair. They weren't really. I mean, I don't think any either of them like knocked it out of the park necessarily, but you know they did their job. What do you mean you didn't love Samuel Salt Jackson? Chemistry? Yeah, but Samuel Jackson just plays Samuel Jackson. <laughs> but he does it so well. Yeah, it's he, just it's just. I mean, he's not. He does. He's like. I feel like his, or at least in my opinion, a lot of some of his, all of his performances are all kind of the same, and he does a solid job at being Samuel Jackson. And his his demeanor fits well in a lot of different roles, or it fits well in like that same sort of, you know, hard ass motherfucker who's ready to do what he's got to do. Right. But it's got a nice twist on it. He's you know he's an engineer. Electrician. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little take on it, but at the end of the day, he's still Samuel Jackson. Uh, but you thought they did have good chemistry. Yeah. You thought they worked well together. I love them. I love them bickering at each other. So funny. Right. Like when they're at the when they're at the uh, the fountain. Mm-hmm. It's like don't open it. He's like, what the fuck? Did I tell you, don't fucking open it. <laughs> Jake, uh, walk us through the solution to that water uh, water puzzle. I don't fucking know how they, like, okay. What was it? So they had a three-gallon jug and a five-gallon jug, and in order to deactivate the bomb, they had to have four gallons worth of water in, on the, like, on a plate, I guess, or on the bomb. It was like a pressure plate in the bomb. Right. And so they filled, they filled up the three-gallon jug, poured it into the five-gallon jug, Right. I don't know. <laughs> but then that leaves two gallons of empty space, does it not? Somehow they they, they cut something because somehow it cuts to a point where they say, well, we've got two gallons in here, right? But you never actually see them pour any of the water. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, I don't understand. So they had, they somehow got, because there's two gallons of empty space I don't know. I feel like, I'm like, am I missing something here? Did something happen? So what you would have to do, what you would have to do is you have, you have the five gallon jug, right? Yeah. So you fill, you fill it to three gallons. Yeah. Leaving how much? Two gallons of empty space. Then you put that much water. Right. Into the, into the other one. one. Into the second one. Yeah. Yeah. But how would you measure that? I don't know. Exactly. That's how they do it. There's a cheat in there somewhere. Someone explain it to me. I don't know. Someone explain it to me. I still have no idea how. Yeah, it's the it's like the the leftover the like the air is the is like the measurement that you use. But I'm like, yeah, but how do you know? Right. What? How do you know how to get that exact amount? Right. Like, yeah, that's two gallons worth of air. I, how do you get that much water? How do you how measure? Do you know that you have exactly that much water. How do you measure it precisely? Mm-hmm. You can't. <laughs> um, John, what did you think of this one? Yeah. Die Hard with a Vengeance. When was the last time you saw it? Yeah, I was like this. I did, was. 
What's that? Did you see it in the theater? Give us the background. Did you see yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. No, I liked it. Like I said, I liked it better than the second one. Um, it just had more going for it. Like you said, there's a sense of place. It really does feel like they're tearing around New York. Um, all those locations, you know, it's like a, it's like a tour of New York yeah. or New York City anyway. Right. Um, I know the threat felt real. Uh, Jeremy Irons is a good bad guy. You know, he's always good. And he's one of those guys that can play good guys or bad guys. Uh, you know, you've seen him do so many different things. He's played psychos and he's played put upon heroes. He can do anything. And I thought that was uh, a good twist that he's uh, Hans Gruber's brother. I thought that was a nice twist. And uh, when they finally put it together and then you realize he's doing the same thing his brother did, which is this is just to disguise, you know, the heist while everyone's running around and they're not using their radios. We're going to get this heist done. And if we get to kill John McClane, that's just icing on the cake. But he he knows that when they figure out who it is, they'll just figure his entire reason is just to get John McClane. So in that way, it's kind of just like his brother. This whole thing's a smokescreen. We're going to get in there. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, um, what do they call that in, in uh, magic tricks? It's uh, misdirection. Misdirection, yeah. yeah. Everyone's looking, everyone's trying to figure out where the, which school the bomb is hidden in. And <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's about getting all the cops away from Wall Street, where the, the federal bank is. Right. So the, the Federal Reserve. So anyway, so, you know, for this sort of thing to, to, to work, you've got to have, you know, charismatic leads you have to have a you have to have a uh, a memorable villain it's got to be a plot that's somewhat uh somewhat believable so for me it just it held my attention better than the second one and um i think it's a good pairing to have uh to have bruce willis with samuel l jackson and i don't really feel that he is playing his his typical character he's got the you know he's got the voice and he's got the uh you know, when he's angry, it always sounds like it's the same character. But basically, this is uh, this is not Jules. He's not playing Jules from Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy's, a, this guy's a dad, and he's got other concerns. And uh, he's got a short fuse, but I think that's where, the, uh, where the, uh, the comparisons end. But he's got that charisma. He's got just as much charisma as, uh, as uh, Bruce Willis. So it's a good pairing, because nobody's blowing the other one off the, uh, off the screen, you know. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them are going to take any shit from the other one you know <laughs> and i love that one moment where he says listen at this point you need me more than i need you <laughs> and finally you know he gets it mclean goes you're right you're right come back you know you're right i need you more than you need me and from right. there on he's pretty much he's in for the ride he's gonna they've got each other's back you can tell and um so it's a good it's a good matchup and that's what you need for this thing to work because this almost falls into the problem of having it's a little too long it's one too many plot twists. It's kind of like Con Air. Con Air is, is, is perfectly executed, but there's about an extra half hour. It's like one car chase too many, you know, and uh, one twist too many. And with this, I feel the same way. It's about one twist too many. They could have wrapped it up about a half hour sooner uh, because you start, you start, your interest starts to wane a little bit, you know, um, all that's going on with the boat and all that, you know. Right. Like, oh, it's still not over, you know. Mm-hmm. First there's the explosion, then the yeah. bomb in the schools. Oh, just kidding. They dug a tunnel. Oh, by the way, they also went through a drain pipe. Oh, by the way, now they're on a boat. It's like, okay. Bingo. 
and all of that works. But at a certain point, you know, your interest flags. So this is another case, you know, of maybe trim a half hour. It would have been super tight. You don't feel that with the first Die Hard. I don't know how long it is. You never really feel like there's a wasted moment. Yeah. Every minute it's advancing the story. And I think this is the same director, right, as the first one? Right, right, right. So you can kind of tell, because the second one was not, uh, was it John McTiernan? Yes. Did Predator, did, uh, did uh, True Lies, no, no, True Lies was James Cameron, uh, did uh, Hunt for Red October. I'm sorry, Hunt for Red October. Was right. Yeah. So I think you can tell it was a different director for the second one. This one, he's, uh, everything's tightened up a little bit. The suspense and the stakes, everything's tightened up a little bit just as far as the way it's cut. So I, I would say this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good, um, uh, as far as this one versus the second one, this is almost on a level with the first one. It's, mm. it's not nearly, I think the second one really does not match the first one at all. This one comes close. I wouldn't say it's, it's as good, but it's awful close. Awful damn close. Yeah. Damn close. How about, how about you, Mario? What'd you think? Uh, I always like this one. It's fun. Um, it's the change of scenery always does it for me. Like I said, uh, yeah, you. It is weird. You do get that extra little scene that always seemed tacked on where uh, they're at the at the the border in Canada. That always seemed like it was just like we're going to just tack this on to the end here. Um, yeah, the boat seems like the natural place for that to end. Uh, so yeah, there is yeah, a little bit right. of a there is a little bit of a weird extra to it that you're like oh well this is weird um but i think the cast really does it for me everybody feels you see a lot of familiar faces from like character actors uh there's a couple guys in the background that are in john McTiernan movies they turn up in hunt for it october and like like the cop the detective who gets killed in the elevator uh yeah uh he's he's like a john McTiernan guy he was in the original Die Hard, i think uh as like the swat commander um but they, you know, he uses, you know, he has people that he likes to use. Uh, everybody feel, felt real. Uh, the guy who played the chief, I don't know who that is, with his little wax mustache. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But, but they all felt like yeah. real guys. They all felt like real, uh, real, real cops and real, even Graham Greene, who we know from, uh, we know from, uh, yeah. uh, from, and of, of all people. Uh, yeah, we know from Dance with Wolves. And then of all people, she's got the really tight perm. But it's Colleen Camp, who was in a bunch of who was in a bunch of eighties <laughs> movies, and I think she's in Apocalypse Now as one of the playmates. Uh, she is. She, uh, she turned. Like, she was just gorgeous. Right. She turns up with this weird perm, but I buy it. She sounds. She's got this New York accent. She seems like they just pulled her off the street, and was like, "Here, be in yep. this movie." Um, you even um, the F, even the FBI guys. You know, in Die Hard, all those guys end up being really cartoony, and in this one, I feel like right. it's a little more grounded. Um, although what makes me laugh, I was watching it again. Everybody, even the construction workers are so Euro. They've got that Euro trash look, you know, they're all wearing like the sleeveless. They all look like, like models for like, for, for like some, you know, for, for like some German clothing store, you know, they all, they all, they all have that Euro trash look about them. It was great. So I wonder if that was the eighties. Was that a look in the eighties? Even the truck driver had his sleeves ripped off. Oh yeah, I love that guy. I love that guy. The guy that knows about the presidents and all that guy. There's a lot of great. He's got all that trivia. Yeah, there's a, a lot of great just uh, just just cast members. It just feels like this is a a place that could only happen in New York. This is like a a story that could only happen in New York. You know, 
Even down right. to the even down to the to the point where you know basically you know Samuel Jackson has like a fix it shop, like it's Sesame Street or something. You know, it's like he's got like this right. electronic store, and it's like everybody's bringing him stuff. It's like yeah, this store this could only happen in New York. You know that you couldn't do right. that in L.A. It'd right. be like what he's going to go into a Radio Shack and grab somebody. Uh, you know, so right. Uh, right. it does. I always like to, that it feels authentic. It feels like real New York and. Um, it, you know, we, we talked about a little bit about this in the middle of uh, we talked about this during um, um, uh, when we did do the right thing, how they did a great job of yeah. capturing how hot it was. Now, they keep referring how hot it is. It's the summer. It's this. It's that. But maybe that's why everybody's not wearing the sleeves. But it doesn't quite convey. They don't quite pull it off like it doesn't look like miserably hot the way it does in uh do the right thing but yeah. uh you know it does kind of add to the atmosphere of the story it's a hot summer and they're running around the city and so i always like this one um for me this is just below the original um i like the ridiculous plot i like that you're stealing gold i like that you're moving these dumb trucks it's such a ridiculously convoluted plot that it almost you're almost like well yeah this is kind of what it needs to be for this type of movie so you know the highest has to be big and and bold and and yeah they steal the gold, and there's a Yugo in it, so I can't even, I can't really complain. Yeah, the the Yugo, holy cow! And you know, I think that was like a, an '80s thing. So in the '90s, that would must have really been a big joke that they're making their getaway in a Yugo. Right, know? right, right, right. That was about the end. That was about the end of that car's run. You know, right, right around yeah. then. So, um, but yeah, man, I. Uh, I think, uh, I, yeah, it's not the original, but I like it. I enjoy it a lot. And this is my wife's favorite Die Hard. And we constantly argue because she calls Hans Gruber the brother. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Jeremy Irons is the brother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing like a European terrorist. They're always good, you know. Jeremy Irons is good, you know, kind of chewing the scenery. But yeah. uh, no it's, one thought it's strange that all of his, like, no one thought it's like, man. A lot, of, a lot of like German supermodel looking guys. Right, that's what I was saying. They all have a Euro look about him, <laughs> and even Jeremy Irons' American accent. I wonder if he was doing. He's such a good actor. I wonder if he was doing a terrible American accent on purpose. You know, right. I'm, I'm always like, right. I'll bet you he could do a flawless American accent, but he's doing it because he's Jeremy Irons. So he's like doing a performance within a performance, and the performance within the performance is not very convincing. You know, right? Hey, hey there, how you doing? Uh, yeah, hey, how you doing? Yeah, he's kind of got a weird southern. I, I, I almost, it's almost too bad to believe he did it on purpose. It's almost like I think he's doing like there's a layered performance here, you know. But yeah, yeah. right, like he's purposely doing a bad one. Right, 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 right. Um, and then the two things you know that Bruce Willis picked up on, he says, uh, "I thought it was going to rain do- dogs and cats," you know, and he's all, "Hmm, that's not the expression." <laughs> And then he says something. When they get on the elevator, he calls it a lift. And at that point, he starts looking at their badge. Right, right, right. Anybody play the lotto? Anybody play the lotto? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I always like Bruce Willis's character, kind of like a smart ass, uh, just kind of like, you know, where, where, uh, you know, just being a, you know, being a a dope um, to, um, you know, kind of playing dumb. You know, just to, just to get it. But I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. What do you think? What do you think, sirs? What What are you giving it, Jake? I'm gonna give it a uh, ooh. 
I'm gonna say seven point five. Oh, seven point five, not bad, not bad. John, what do you give this one? What do you give? What do you give it? Uh, I give it a seven. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, it's good. I don't. I don't think I'd probably give the original a ten, right? I don't. I don't have that of information. We'll have to have Justine look that up when she's that done. That feels right. That feels right. You, you, I yeah, because I, mean, I can't imagine not giving the first one a nine or a ten. But uh, no, this is a good one. I guess it's just because it's not the original. But I'd say it's a high seven. Yeah, I give this one an eight. I love I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's an eight for me. It's an eight for me. So uh, I don't get tired of watching it. I like it. Uh, it's it's so it's so bombastic in a lot of ways too, and I love the way they do the Doctor Strange love thing with the Johnny comes marching home again. Uh-huh. Uh, they kind of uh-huh. do like <laughs> they kind of do a nice little Doctor Strange love thing, uh, and uh, I love it. I love how. You know what I gotta look up. I I I, um, I gotta look up. I always wonder about this. I know there's gotta be a story. The uh, his girlfriend, the blonde, is a singer named Sam Phillips, and it's interesting that they. Uh, I'd love to know how they cast her. She looks about right for the part. And then they thought, somebody must have made a decision. We'll show a little scar on her uh, throat so it's like she can't talk. Now, you're halfway there. You don't have to, like, memorize any lines because she's not an actress, you know. Right. But I thought, I wonder what was behind that. It works. She's got the look. She pulls off the action stuff. But who thought she was a singer? Uh, I think she's married to T-Bone Burnett now. But she was a a singer-songwriter. And I wonder... How they thought of using her. It must have been that she had the look they wanted. And they yeah. said, you know how we're going to get around this? That we'll get around the fact that she's not an actress by just saying she had her, her vocal cords cut. You know, she's a terrorist. Something Somewhere down the line, she lost her. We'll put a little scar in her throat. I don't know. I can't remember. Did they ever explain what that was? No. The scar they keep no, showing no. Throat. Was that the... Yeah. So I'll have to look that up. But that is Sam Phillips playing... Uh, Playing Jeremy Irons. She was a New Age Christian singer and songwriter. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, I think, by, yeah, I don't know. She wasn't doing Christian rock albums by the time she got to, like, that third. What was that big hit? She had an album called The Indescribable Wow. <laughs> oh, okay, so, I know who that is. Okay. She's one of those artists that started as, like, a Christian uh, music person and just decided, well, I'm going to move on to, like, Shelby Lynn. I think I'm just going to see if I'll if I can make it work in the secular music business. And she had a, about two or three hit albums, and then I think she married uh, Timon Burnett at some point, hmm. and um, she had some hits. But yeah, I just uh, there's got to be a story there. I was going to look it up in time for the to tell you guys, but I forgot all about it. There's got to be a story how she got cast in that in that role. Uh, let's see. In 1995, Phillips made her acting debut as the Mutarius. Katya and Bruce Willis's Brockluster died with a vengeance. Uh, it doesn't say why though. She, yeah, she was also in Who a Vi- she she was also in a Vim Vendors film. I'm looking I'm looking it up right now, gentlemen. We're gonna find this answer for you. Um, if my internet cooperates, I'm guessing she had the the look for it. They said we need somebody that's got that look. She's got it. Doesn't matter that she's not, you know. Oh, she composed American. the theme for Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh, really? Is that right? Well, how about that? That would have that would have been around the right era. That sounds like the right era. Yeah. Oh boy, I'll bet you most of her income came from that. Hey, <laughs> that show ran for a few years. I bet you that uh, writing the theme song for that that show probably made her more money than <laughs> all her albums combined. 
Yeah, she has only three films to her name. Um, it's rare for an actor to appear in a blockbuster and then not really carry that momentum in other roles, but Phillips uh, was busy all the same. And that uh, she composed the theme for the Gilmore Girls, but it doesn't say how she came about being in the movie. But she has a great look. She does have a really good look yep. to her, so she yep. looks very menacing. And Somebody uh, probably thought, you know, this is it. This is it, you know. You know, there, a lot of musicians were being were being cast. Remember, you had what's her name in Die Hard too? Uh, was it uh, uh, Patsy Phillips or Patsy? Who was the girl in in Die Hard in Lethal Weapon two? Um, oh, she was a singer too. Um, she ends up at the bottom of it. She ends up dying. Patsy Kensett. Patsy Kensett. She was. A, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, so yeah. a lot of singers were turning up in in roles in these. Uh, you know. Probably the casting office is just say, let's try something a little offbeat. You want to, and maybe you don't want somebody who, where you go, oh, that's that person. Right. You're not going to get Meryl Streep. You're not, not going to get, you know, right. you don't want somebody who's a star. And they probably thought, who's not, you know, people will just look at this person and go, who is it? You know? Right. Who is it? What is it? <laughs> All right, guys. That was a great little, what a fun little show we had this week. See, the three of us can carry, we can carry the show if we have to. Yeah, we don't need them. We do. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but uh, hey, I just got a text. I got to answer uh, concerning work, okay. so I gotta, I gotta, Uh-oh. I gotta respond to this text. But so I'm gonna cut it a little short, guys. But uh, what a great right. show! We'll be back next week. Next week's movie, I forgot what it was gonna be. Uh, ah. <laughs> it was what we were. Jackie re- Chan's first strike. Oh, that's right. It's Jackie Chan's first strike. Thank you. Yeah, it, all right. It's what we were originally going to do, and we pushed it back. Jackie Chan's first strike. It's our. It's our. It's another. It's another great Jackie Chan movie, which is actually Police Story Four, which is weird because we haven't seen Police Story Three yet. But we're going in release order, and we're not going in an American release order. We're going in. Uh, oh no, we're going in American release order. No, we're not. I don't know. Anyway. Because Rumble in the Bronx, I'm guessing it won't make a difference. Rumble I'm in the Bronx, that plot wise, it won't make a no, difference. No, 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 no. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. I love you guys, and uh, <laughs> what a weird thing to say. Uh, wherever you are, we wish you a very pleasant good evening. How about that? That's nice. Go Dutch. Uh, so for John and for Jake, we will say that this transmission ends now, and we will say a very pleasant good evening to you.